When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hvor er det i? Hei, hei, hva? Gudtid, hei. Hva er det i lovdelen for i det? Nå visker jeg ikke det vi tok med i det. Bra, sir. Gikk hei. Meet Jay Miller. You may know him as Jay the Barber. I actually volunteer in the homeless shelter in Belfast, Hope Street, Chapel Lane, where we go down and we do free haircuts for the homeless, feed them, um, give them toiletries and whatever they need. He's a devoted family man, entrepreneur and TikTok sensation. Stop racking her. What you need is a mentor to show you books and manuals together to get best results so that you can keep your clients. Hi, my name is Jay and I am a barber. But there's much more to Jay than meets the eye. Um, from a young age, I remember being left in the house by myself. Um, I remember her being obviously on drink. That's when she did come home. There's days we were left in the house for days. We talk about the tragedies behind his addiction. So we were put in the children's home. We ran away from the home. We wasn't even meant to go that night. But he came anyway and we ran away. We ended up on a tree in the carriage. I heard this big loud ba- like bang. Wayne was just knocked down and he ended up tragically getting killed in front of me. His fight for survival and his mission to help others just like him. I'm the, I don't see myself any better than them sort of people because at the end of the day, there's no difference to the cocaine that I was taking. And I would honestly sit here and say that I was probably taking more than what they were taking, only they're on the streets because of certain decisions that they've made. Jay's story is truly remarkable. Death, drugs, and dragging himself back from the depths of despair. I'm Sharon O'Neill, and in this episode of The Bell Tell, Jay shares his story. Well, welcome, Jay. Let's start at the very beginning. You saw addiction from an early stage when your mum, Sandra, was an alcoholic. Now you were only very small. What do you remember? Um, from a young age, I remember being left in the house by myself. Um, I remember her being obviously on drink and like just not very... Like loving times where she was obviously in a bad place and the drink she was left in bad, leaving herself in a bad situation where she was like intoxicated. Um, that's when she did come home. There's days we were left in the house for days. And this is you and your your brother Wayne, and you were so young, but yet you remember it all. Yep. Um, for such a young age, the stuff that. I remember it's, it's like a, like remembering a photograph um, and the stuff that happened was so vivid. Even I'm 41 today and obviously to be such a long time ago, it was, uh, it's, it's crazy how much you remember. 
And it cost your mother her life. What age was she, Jim? She, she died when she was 30. 34, sorry. 34. So young and so young. Do you lose a mother at that age? What age were you and Wayne at that time? I was five when that happened. Um, So it was... Uh, I still remember when the, the social workers came in to tell us, um, and it wasn't looking back. We weren't even upset or nothing. I think it was because we were, we were detached from her for so long, so it wasn't really a big impact. Um, so you, it's like you don't really miss what you didn't have. It is amazing that at that age you remember that, and you remember your mother's battle with drink at such a young age. I chose. You know, you're you're barely talking, but that's uh, yeah. that obviously says a lot too about I know, the impact. The impact that even at the day that she was buried, and all um, we were running about out the front and stuff, and it shows you how like detached you were from everything. And obviously, along the the, the years of her drinking and stuff, and sending me to the shop, and I'm actually living in, back in the area where I was like, grew up and stuff, and I, and I've got two with my two sons are the same age as me and Wayne. And and I always say to my wife, for it's like me sending we, my son across that the, the road to go and get a gravy chip for me and my brother. As a child, I would never dream of letting him go out the front gate, never mind like so far away. But it, it was obviously the place she was in. I think back then it was different times as well. But I think with the drinking stuff and the way it got her in the end, it was uh, it's probably better off that she passed away because at the end of the day, she was living the life of misery. And... It didn't end there for you, Jay, because you and Wayne were put in homes, children homes, in and out of children's homes, and then more tragedy, and you lost your brother. Tell me about it. So we were put in the children's home. Um, we were actually in it twice, um, and we were in different foster parents. Wayne always wanted to go to foster parents because they were a family, and it was a wee bit more loving. Where I wanted to go to the home because obviously... I used to just run uh, crazy on it. Um, I was in the children's home in 87 and then 1982. 1982 was the time when me and a few other people were, we ran away from the home. Wayne wasn't even, it's, it's so ironic, Wayne wasn't even meant to go that night. Um, and we were all just set off about to run away and then Wayne called me and said he was coming. I says, get back, you're not coming. But he came anyway and we ran away. We ended up on a train to Carrick from... Uh, Newton Abbey, Rathfern, um, and we ended up in Carrick in the back of a school walking our way across the gravel pitch um, and we all started to climb over the fence. We are going to a house in Casamara. I don't even know why, why we were going. And I heard this big loud ba- like bang and the only thing I can resemble it is like a car hitting a cardboard box, really, really vivid, loud bang noise and it was Wayne. Somebody screamed. Wayne was just knocked down and he ended up tragically getting killed in front of me. And you were only, what, eight? I was just turned eight at the time, yeah. And Wayne was? He was seven. At that point, I was put in the back of a car, of a stranger's car, and we followed the ambulance the whole way down the shore road, and the, the lights went out then, and from then... We were put in the, I was put back in the home, obviously because we are on the boat all day. I'm, I'm actually surprised I actually fell asleep, but I think it's because we are on the boat all, in, out in the fresh air. And um, the three social workers came in the next day and told me that he had passed away. And it was like, I think part of me didn't believe it had actually happened. And then when they buried him that day, that I tried, it was like they put the green like wood and grass over the top of the grave. 
and I tried to pull it off the grave and stuff and I think just as a young boy and then ever since that it was just always like hitting out and like just it, it made me very uh, angry and uh, even till a few years ago like it was always it's, it's only learning to control the anger because of obviously what happened to me as such a young boy So when you were saying goodbye to Wayne you were trying to pull the Yeah I remember going to took me down to the funeral home and just to see as we as we body and uh, ho- and uh, coffin and he had like the bruise on the side of his head and he was wearing a wee BB uniform and uh, oh, it's just the wee things that remind you of like if if he hadn't came that night or or whatever but it's it's such a uh, big impact on my life and it's uh, it's something that stays with you forever Did you realise at that stage the enormity of your loss? I mean you were only eight I mean did you realise that your brother was gone. Um, I don't think there and then I realised how much of a loss. It's took me a lot of a lot of year, a long, long time to realise what I've lost. Um, and how close we were because we grew up just together. We were there was nobody there with us. It was me and Wayne. It was always us together, even no matter what uh, foster parents we were in. Um, so thinking back and the, the, the much loss, it's took me a, maybe f- all my life to realise how much of a loss I've actually, at that specific time, I didn't realise exactly what I'd actually lost. And then you kicked back. You joined the army. Did you change as a person, do you think? I think um, I, I went to the army and I think it straightened me out a wee bit, but then I kicked back at that as well whenever uh, I'd left the army and stuff. And I think it, you have this mentality where you think that you know everything and you can do what you want. Obviously, a lot of young people think that, but obviously what I didn't take into consideration is what I've already been through but before I joined the army and how damaged I obviously was and hadn't dealt with things. Like, I'd never seen a counsellor in the whole time or spoke to anybody. I was put into a room and we were questioned by CID or by policemen for like f- hours and hours and hours instead of, obviously, there has to be some sort of... Uh, Care package, wherever if something so tragic happens, but I think in the end days it was just what it, it was. What it was. So when you left the army, you got into cutting hair. So you built up a bit of a business, really, yeah. Jay's Barbers, and you were making a bit of money. But you had some cocaine addiction, Jay. Yep. I think the mentality I always had was because I worked so hard that I thought I could take as as party harder and. Everything came very, very quick. The money that I was making and the drugs, I couldn't like take enough like cocaine or drinking. And I just was like party boy where I wanted to try and um, just have a really good time. But then the day that the, the collateral damage and everything around me was just like hitting the destruct button because obviously in my mind and yeah, even my attitude, the way I was thinking then was like, what's happened to me in my past is like I deserve this or I, I, nobody knows what I've been through and stuff. And at the end of the day, it was just very immature and... Um, for myself to obviously not accept like trying to put this persona on that because of what I've seen and what I've been through that it's okay for me to do this but like it's at the end of the day it's there's people out there's been through a lot worse and it's was maybe me trying to vent stuff where I'm trying to like do it in a controlled way where at the end of the day you can't be just getting on the drink or taking drugs because you've had a bad upbringing tell me how much money you spent in cocaine? I think I was spending between £1,200 a week on drugs and it was crazy because I would never take it when I was cutting hair because you couldn't, there's no way you could do it. It was when I was finishing work and then I would take two or three days off or I would have done the weekend or would have rented out the old Bell building and we're doing 
like partying or doing this and doing that. Um, but the the drugs was like my mentality. It was like I was never it was never enough. No matter what it was, you were just taking it, taking it, taking it. And I'm actually I'm very very lucky. I'm still here because anybody that takes that amount of drugs is, is enough to knock out a horse. Did you not nearly come to overdosing sometimes? I would dare say yes, definitely. Like I was very lucky that I never overdosed, but I think just by the the saviour of God, obviously looking over me, because at the end of the day, the, the drugs that I was taking, there's no way that like I'm surprised I'm still here because of the money you've spent on it. Yes, you were a professional and you were kind of had your own business, but you could easily have been. That person on the streets, couldn't you? I mean, you're just a different type of addict to that person on the 100%, streets. Hundred percent, yeah. And that's why I go down to the homeless and stuff. I'm the, I don't see myself any better than them sort of people because at the end of the day, I was very, very close to being dead, or I should have been either in rehab or whatever. I'm just a different version, um, and that's why that I'm not scared to sit and talk about it or help others because at the end of the day, there's no difference to the cocaine that I was taking. And I would honestly sit here and say that I was probably taking more than what they were taking. Only they're on the streets because of certain decisions that they've made I was just fortunate enough to obviously like get past or skim past without being homeless or whatever and at the end of the day I have to give Orla my wife and my, like she stood by me the whole way and she didn't have to because there's plenty of other people who just want to see you later I'm not sticking this you're absolutely nuts When was that kind of Damascus moment where you thought I can't do this anymore? Um the thing about and how the, the, the many places I told myself for a long five over five years one more weekend one more weekend I deserve this one more weekend and I think just the much I put my, my wife and kids and my family through with drinking drugs and even myself too like you have to if you can't fix yourself it's, everything starts with me um, and the, the, the wake up moment was when I just had enough and I, and I ended up met a, one of my friends Ricky and he asked me to go and join an alpha course and I, and I went and done that and I'm not going to sit here and say that it was just one night bang, that was me fixed. At the end of the day, it's been a progress getting to where I need to be and the process of actually getting myself clean and being a role model to others, it, it just didn't happen overnight. It's been a really long, hard road for me. And Jake, once you got clean, you decided to give something back. How did you decide to do that and how did that manifest itself? So I was cutting brand Madden's hair I was cutting another pastor shirt called John from the Antrim Palette of Cura and them two people got to know me and then they both says if, if you're willing to come down it's it's hard and it's thing and I says yes and to this day And just for people who don't know that's the help centre there in Castle Street where is in right in the heart of the uh, Belfast City Centre where much of the drugs problem is at the minute. That's it. It's right in the front line. Brian Madden runs it every Wednesday. There's they're there on a Friday and Saturday night as well, um, and that's where I how I ended up going down. And from the very, it's it's crazy how much or how quickly you just slot into something. And it's such a big place, and as you've seen, it's very very busy too. And there's so many elements of people of all walks of life. It's just end up in this place and. From the the word from the very first day that I went there, everything just went so so um, so well, and getting to know all the guys too. And it's crazy how quick you can sort of age yellow people, and obviously they're looking up to you as well. And every time you go down, I mean, I we went to the centre and we saw you in action, and you know you're cutting guys' hair, 
and you're putting a wee pat on their shoulder and they look up to you and they're smiling and everything because there's there's kind of, you know, they understand because they know. Yep. You've been through it. I've been through it. So, Jay the barber, there's more to you than meets the eye. Tell me, why are we here? So, we are actually down at the homeless shelter in Belfast on Chapel Lane, and this is run by Brian Madden um, and his uh, wonderful people. And what they do is they bring all the homeless people down between 11 and 3 on a Wednesday, every Wednesday, and give them food, and we facilitate the haircuts and stuff. And as you can see, it's very, very busy today. And as, the, as the, I'm doing it two years now, and from my start until now, there's some difference in the many people that's coming. They're coming from everywhere. It is loads of people, and they've all got different, different needs, and they're all here to get a haircut. And they've all got different issues: drugs, drink, and they're all in desperate need of some help, aren't they? I, I think they come down to you to get a bit of uh, like fellowship and speak to people, and like obviously people occur maybe get a hug or get a haircut or whatever. There are people just here that they can have a chat or get a cup of tea. That's it. Uh, the advice, it's sometimes a bit of advice is priceless. So, Jay, in your ordinary day-to-day job as a hairdresser, your first question, I'm sure, is, well, where are you going on holiday? But obviously we're in a very different place. So what do you say to these guys? What do you, you know, I, I try and touch base with them and just obviously talk away and see how they're feeling first and try and get a feel of what way they feel before I start cutting their hair. Because obviously if they're a bit agitated or I've been down before and people's been drinking or taking drugs, they're a wee bit agitated. So I try and just sort of have a feel for what way they're feeling. Then obviously going them up and talk to them and even just stand, like putting your hand on somebody, making them feel grounded or ask them how they feel and then obviously ask them what they want for their haircut or a beard trim or whatever they're getting done smiling as you're kind of touching his shoulder there and it's it's a nice it's a you can see it's a nice it's kind of give him a big smile there i mean what is it that you sense i mean obviously you've been here you've done the hundred yards see to be honest with you this is why i do this so so much and try and give back is because i've been there so many times and when, when you're rock bottom that nobody cares or how hard it is and you've got nothing maybe it might not be money or whatever or drinking or taking drugs or whatever but when you're when you've hit rock bottom it's very very hard because there's not too many people to help you when you're down and I was probably one of the luckiest one, lucky ones to get away from what I was doing and then I actually wrote a book and all about what, happened, what I went through but and at the end of the day what's the difference between heroin addiction or cocaine it's all the same thing you managed to come through it, but can you describe for me, Jay, so people can understand what addiction is like? When I was taking cocaine, the person that I became was, honestly, like it's, even looking back at pictures, I can actually look at a picture and you, you look like a different person. I know people look and think that's silly, but even your eyes, it's all in your eyes, your eyes are just black. So, on a daily basis, he had a big shadow around him, and that was a devil. Or a demon. Oh, and it's not him. So it took all the. That's it, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Because he says there's legion. We're legion. Right? And the, the colour would have been under your eyes. Yep, yep. You would have been gone looking. Your face would have been shot in. And I didn't know you, but you oh, would I, not. You would not look like oh, somebody who talked drugs to me. Yeah. Billy. Ever. Billy, would you not like to be. Like Jay is now. Jay's offered me a chance. I'm doing what? I've got 
half year, see my books. Right, I was away and working on it. I can move it now, don't worry, like. Yeah. Just because you had their damage order. I was away and working on it now. Yeah. Give me a chance. There's no, there's no better man that's been through what I've been through to mentor him and help him, because at the end of the day, I know how long a road is to help him. People, at the end of the day, there's, I have four classes at the minute running that's absolutely flat out. But what would I love to do in the future? And I've done it with Brian before, with them, the homeless, t- teaching them out the back, but we found it hard because we were coming down and had they're under the influence of drink or drugs. But if we could do it in a controlled place where, say, for toxic people like Billy, that really want to get clean or whatever, we can bring them up to my academy and I'll have an aim for them and chant it. Jay, you were with Billy there when we were down at the Mission Hall in Castle Street in Belfast. Billy was one of many people that you help and you cut their hair every week, but there are others who, sadly, you never see again. From my start till now, I think I've lost about 18 people, um, girls and fellas, and it's it's crazy, as I said before. 18 have died on 18, the streets. 18 have died, and the thing about it is, a good few of the people in the last few months have had the chance for Brand. Brand sat down with them, done an interview, and was getting them into rehab. The, the, the last couple of people, they had were booked on to go to rehab and it's crazy how much the brand the work that he done with them was and all they had to do was go and sit in the flight and they didn't do it and the week after they were dead it's like it's like God giving me a chance to go and listeners a chance for you and then, and they didn't do it and, and then in the week after one of them was actually knocked down in city centre by a bus and the other girl it was the same sort of idea she was in a, a real bad situation and was all she had to do was go on the plane and, and then obviously she was dead the next week and it's crazy because these people used to the rock out of their head used to come and just lay on the sofa and get something to eat and just desperate desperate times for them and addiction is difficult how would you describe what's going on in the city centre at the minute um, I think it's very very um, technical and dangerous and I think a lot of people and young people don't understand how um, serious it is and I think because a lot of them live in such hopeless lives and I don't mean that to like to run them down but I think because of nothing to look forward to or anything like that they're just willing just to take these tablets and just take take their chances and the outcome's just going to be so devastating um, and from we done the last bit of the homeless and we were down speaking till now and many people it's been affected by one way or another and it's not even them as Dan it's their whole family circles as well it's so devastating because at the end of the day once that person's took out of somebody's life, there's no going back. It's like turning the light switch off, it's over, that's it. But Jay, you'll always be there? I'll always be down, doing what I can for them and obviously providing a service, whether it be a haircut or just somebody to talk to. And your brother would be very proud of you right now? That's what uh, I try and do every day, just make him proud and be proud of me and my family for what obviously I do day in, day out. What's next for Jay? Um, I've actually just in the last few months I've bought a, an Ulster bus and I'm going to be doing stuff for the homeless and I'm going to be taking the car shows where we can we're actually doing the car shows already but I can only bring a few barbers with me so I've actually just bought a Leyland Leopard bus which is a 50 seater and we're going to bring it to Dubshed and we're going to put mirrors up against the outside of it and hopefully I can get between 8 and 10 barbers and donate the money to children's cancer I've been doing it for quite a while and I just realised that they don't get no funding from the government so in the last three or four years we have been doing the, the car shows every year and just donate the money to Children's Cancer and try and do what I can because uh, I, I know how hard it would probably be to be in that situation. 
So helping others is really a part of almost your rehab, really, Jay, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. And a lot of people don't understand me. A lot of people would say, if I do this and I put it on social media, I do this. A lot of people would say probably negative stuff. They don't know me. But the thing, the thing about it is, if I'm in that mindset where I'm trying to help others in any way I can, whether it be taking people on or going and speaking them what I'm getting now is a lot of people ask me to go and speak to youth clubs and stuff about uh, drugs and stuff and at the end of the day if I can help them young people understand then it's it's been worthwhile thanks Jay no problem Heggy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.